Our text today is going to be found in the New Testament book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to head that way if you would. Galatians chapter 4, and we will begin in verse 1 in just a little bit. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to focus on verses 4 and 5, but just kind of give a little context to the passage. I will start in verse 1. And I want to confess to you as you're turning there that I'm not a patient person. And I'm not saying that to hurry you up as you turn the pages. Um, I, I say that because, well, I'm just not. I, I have trouble waiting sometimes. I, I almost never fish. Um, when I do, I want the fish to be biting. Now, some people go out, they like to sit on the boat, sit on the bank, whatever it is, and they don't care if fish are biting or not. If I go out, I want the fish to be biting. I want it to be happening often, and I want it to be happening about the time that the, the, the hook gets in the water that's when I want to fish on the line. I mean, I want to be fighting them. I want to be pulling them in. And uh, the other day we went to uh, Disney and they had a thing at our, uh, the hotel place where we'd say they called it a fishing hole. And we went out and, and we had cane poles and stuff we could fish. <clears throat> and I, we didn't have any luck. There was one fish. I could see him because they had a dock. And I was out there and this fish was swimming under where I was fishing. And I dangled this nice worm right in front of that thing and he didn't even look at it. It made me mad. It, it, anyway, I'm not a patient person. And it's no better, well, it's slightly better, but not a whole lot better if I go hunting, for instance. I mean, I, I like being out in the woods, and I like being just sit quietly. I, it's a good place to sleep. Um, I, I like to go out there, but if I'm, if I'm not seeing anything, after a while, I get impatient. I get frustrated. And I'll, I'll see the squirrels that are making the noise that I thought was a deer out there. And I'll want to maybe start picking them off. I'll see the, I'll see the birds and, and I'll think, you know, I, I, I might as well make some good use of my time and, and at least get me a bird. But, you know, 30-30 on a, on a blue jay may be a little much. Um, and, and don't get me started on the doctor's office. Yeah, now I got some amens, right? Because yeah, we, we go to the doctor's office and this, this really bothers me. I, I, you go, they say, get here 15 minutes early. Now, that's not the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Because you go, and you know you're going to sit, and they're not going to get you in anytime close to your appointment. But what I've seen recently is they, they get you in close to your appointment, and then they put you in solitary confinement. And you sit there in this little room, and you have to wait for the doctor to come in. And I got so frustrated uh, a while back, I went for some mundane appointment, and I just need the doctor to come in, look me over, give me my prescription, and go on. But he wouldn't come in. And I got to looking, and, and there were tongue depressors up on the, on the counter. And I've, I've had a history of back when I was in college, my more creative days, in, in my dorm room one time, I, made, I got some uh, popsicle sticks, and I made a, a catapult out of it, and it was functional. Uh, when I was on the phones uh, at one of my jobs, I made a, a small bridge out of popsicle sticks that you could actually stand on, I could stand on. So it was pretty structurally strong. And uh, I thought about making some kind of a craft while I sit there and waited for the doctor. Maybe you guys, maybe I'm, maybe my lack of sanctification is thro- showing through here, and you all don't experience this. But I, I have trouble with patience sometimes, and, and I can imagine that feeling of anticipation and maybe even frustration was being felt to some extent by the nation of Israel as a whole for those years leading up to the Messiah's birth, because. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, God had promised to send a Messiah. He promised to send 
one who would deliver from the effects of sin and, and evil, the, the, the seed of a woman that would overcome death and, and sin. And for centuries, the prophets had foretold the coming Messiah. They said this one who is going to uh, be a, a descendant of, Israel, of, of, of King David, he's going to sit on the throne of David, he's going to, uh, to, to liberate and free and, and save his people. And yet, the waiting continued. After a while, after Malachi, for some 400 years, is radio silence. There weren't even prophets saying that there's somebody coming. It was just waiting and more waiting and more waiting. And I want to tell you, as we head into this Christmas season, the first Christmas came right on time. Christmas came at just the right time. God wasn't early, and He wasn't so much as a minute late. He came, He, he, he orchestrated His plan and fulfilled it right on time. He wasn't making it up as He went. He wasn't changing and adapting His plans. You know, sometimes in the education field, they say, fake it till you make it. God wasn't faking it till He made it. This was His plan from the beginning. And, and it, it all happened on his timetable, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you found Galatians 4 and are able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse 5. Paul says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are three things about the birth of Christ in this text I want you to see. The first is the timing of His birth. The timing... Of his birth. Now, we're going to focus on verses 4 and 5, but I just want to kind of touch on verses 1 to 3 because really we're jumping into the middle of, of stuff that Paul is saying to these Galatian Christians. And, and he's following what he says in chapter 4, obviously, follows from what he said in chapter 3. They didn't have, he, he didn't write this with chapter and verses. Okay, it was a letter, and we put these chapter divisions in later uh, to kind of help find where some of this stuff is. And so it, it's kind of disconnected from what he said in chapter 3 where we picked up. So, um, and, and when you read verses 1 to 3, kind of the way we did, you might kind of scratch your head and say, how does that relate to what he said in verses 4 and 5? Well, Paul is talking about the appropriateness of the timing of Jesus' birth. And what he does is he uses a cultural um, circumstance, a cultural tradition to highlight and to explain his truth. Now, our, our culture is different today, and so some of this is, seems kind of foreign to us. But it, you'll notice that he talked about a date set by the father. Now in that culture a person was considered a child until this date that was set by the father. Now there may have been a there may have been a ceremony or something like that, but but up until that point they were considered a kid. They they were they they were uh, not free to do uh, anything that they wanted. They had folks to watch over them, to direct them, to guide them. They had guardians um, and, and and they would take care of the child. But and even if they were the father's heir up until that point, they didn't really differ from a servant all that much in the sense that a servant couldn't just go and do whatever he wanted. He was, he was guided and directed and had the shots called by the master. And likewise, a kid, I mean, you probably have seen some kids that run the home. That's not what was, it was the father that ran the home, and the kid was a kid until the date set by the father. 
From that point on, though, after that date set by the father, the, the, the person was considered an adult. They had the, the rights and responsibilities of a grown-up. So Paul says, it's like that for mankind. And we see this at the end of chapter 3, but we didn't, didn't read really it, just kind of fill you in. Paul says, it's, it's like that with mankind. God had given the law to Moses, and Moses delivered it to the people, and that served as, as a guide. It served as guardians. It served to care for and direct the people is it served as a schoolmaster, Paul says, to lead people to Christ. It served as a tutor. But there was a date fixed by the Father that after that point, everything was going to be different. And that date was when Jesus was born. And that is a, a point of history. The, the, the Father set a date from eternity past and said, This day of this year, in this place, Jesus will be born. Things are going to change. And I want you to look again at verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now that word translated as fullness has the idea of, of completeness, of, of the filling up of something. It was used by ancient Jewish writers to speak of God's sovereignty over history. It, it talked about his providence of guiding and directing all of history, and it talked about his wisdom. In other words, God, when, when Paul says that the fullness of time came, he is saying that God orchestrated the events of of, of history from creation to that point so that at the exact moment in history that he by his sovereign choice decided all that stuff had led up to the point of Christ it, it, it was it, it was all set in eternity past he didn't come up with the plan B it, J- Jesus come to die on the cross was not God's backup plan God doesn't have a backup plan have you ever made a contingency plan well I'm gonna I hope that to do this but if that doesn't work out I think we'll go this way God's never done that. God, God has never had a backup plan. He's never, he, he's never said, well, if this doesn't plan, pan out for me, I'm going to do this. Everything happens according to his schedule. Now, the question that we naturally ask, I think, as we begin to ponder this, is why then? Have you ever thought about that? Why, I mean, the fall happened in the Garden of Eden. Why didn't God immediately send a Redeemer? Why didn't he, in all the years up to that point, he could have sent Jesus? Why did he choose to do it at that point in history? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a definitive, uh, complete answer. All that we can say for certain is that it was because that is when the creator of the universe, the all-wise, all-loving God, that's when he deemed it best. Having said that, I think there are some things that, that, that point to this being a prepared time. For instance, the world was ready politically. It was ready politically. Now, uh, some years before, there's a, a guy that you may have heard about, Alexander the Great. Now, he was this, he was this, this genius of a, of a military leader, and he conquered much of the known world then. And so he had this massive empire that he was over, and one of the things that that facilitated was not only the Greek culture uh, invading all, all these different nations, but more importantly, the Greek language. And so at that point, we had what was essentially a worldwide language where everybody at least, if they didn't speak it, they at least understood it, and and they could speak it. Then the Romans came onto the scene, and those were the people that were in, in charge whenever Christ was born. And so these Romans, they ushered in the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. 
And they would enforce the peace of Rome militarily many times. And so, so what they would do is uh, they, they would you know, crucify people and stuff like that to keep the peace. But part of what they did, it was an era of peace. And there have been very few eras of peace in the world. Because there's usually a war going on somewhere. And what a time for the Prince of Peace to come. But beyond the peace, the Romans developed and patrolled roadways. I mean, they, you maybe have seen pictures. They've got roads that 2,000 years later look better than the roads we have today. I mean, we have potholes and everything else, and they've got roads that are, are, are still functional that were built back in the time of Christ. But they have these roads, and you could get to many places, most places, in the empire quickly, and because they patrolled them safely. And they had a mail system they delivered, uh, that they developed. And I'm wondering if maybe they couldn't help the U.S. Postal Service sometimes. Because they had, they had a system where mail could get from point A to point B quickly, reliably, and safely. And on top of that, many Jews were scattered among the nations. You say, well, that sounds like a bad deal. But listen, the Jews took with them the Scriptures. And as they went out into the nations, not, not willingly... But they went out to the nations and they had the scriptures with them. And so they would expose the people around them to the Old Testament scriptures which predicted this Messiah that was to come. And, and ultimately, they had synagogues which, would, which should have been a place for Jesus' first followers, who were also Jewish, to go and preach the gospel. So, so the world was ready politically. It's also ready theologically. Because for hundreds of years, the Jews had taken part in the sacrificial system. Now, that was, not a, that was not a permanent thing. It was not set up by God to, to, to last forever. It was a temporary thing that pointed ahead to Christ. But, but this, this sacrificial system gave us categories with which to understand Jesus and his work. And we see that reflected in, in, in any, uh, many of the, uh, the writings that the biblical writers use. So, for instance, what did John the Baptist say? He said, Behold the who? The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. There's reference there to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Or you think about uh, you think about 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Part of what it says, Paul says, For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Hebrews 9, 22 in part says, Without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And the list could go on and on. This sacrificial system gave us categories by which to understand Jesus and his work. Additionally, Excuse me. Throughout the millennia, the sinfulness of sin, its fruit, its, its, its outworkings were on full display as God waited to send the Savior. Also along with that was man's inability to get to God on his own. Man can't come up with a way to get to God except through Jesus. And, and so, so, so we see all those things. We, we see the forbearance of God as, as he doesn't uh, just wipe the slate clean. And, and so it was, it was right time politically. It's the right time theologically. It's the right time prophetically as all these Old Testament prophecies pointed to this era of history. So it was a prepared time. Now we can look at that and we can say, okay, yep, that's good. I understand. I got it. Move along, preacher. Come on. But I want to put the brakes on just a little bit and I want you to apply that to your own life. Say, well, how does that apply to me? I'm not an Old Testament Roman. I, I'm not, uh, or an Old Testament uh, saying, I, I don't, I'm not a, a Roman citizen. How does that apply to me? Listen, 
God in his providence was orchestrating every decision that led to the birth of Christ. All those circumstances, from the very people who quarried the rock that made the end that Jesus was rejected at, all those decisions. I mean, you think about it. Somebody has got to decide to be a, a brickmaker or a quarryman. I don't even know what they're called. Rock diggers? I don't know. Anyway, they, they, were, they, they got the rocks out of the ground to make this in. Well, what, what decisions led up to that? Well, what, what decisions led up to all the people deciding to go there and fill up all the places to sleep? When they're going to leave? Who they're going to take with them? All these different decisions that are made all over the world, millions of decisions, are all made freely and yet orchestrated by God to fulfill His plan. And I say all that to say this. Most of them were not thinking how they were going to fulfill God's plan for the Messiah to come when they made their choice. They weren't thinking, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make these rocks, I'm going to dig these rocks, I'm going to build this in so that one day, hopefully, Messiah will come and they'll say, sorry, there's no room in the inn, but we got this stable. None of that was in, none of that was in, in mind. Caesar Augustus didn't say, I'm going to see how I can fulfill the will of Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God of the Jews. I'm going to see how I can fulfill his will and call for the census to get Mary and Joseph, who I've never heard of before, I'm going to get them to Bethlehem. Because that's where Micah predicted the Messiah was going to be born. That didn't happen. And yet God in his sovereignty orchestrated all these events to fulfill his will. And I say that because sometimes we look at our lives and we make mundane decisions and we wonder if any of it matters, if any of it's important. Where's God in this? Is he, is he involved in my life? It seems, like he's, it seems like radio silence. God's involved even in the mundane decisions of our life. God is in charge of even the, the, the outcome of our job choices and, 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 and who we marry and, and all of those things. And He is in the process of working out His will in the world, in your life, in mine, and in world affairs. God's at work. God is involved. But another application of this I want to draw out is that you might be waiting on God. Maybe you've prayed for something. Maybe you have some decision you're waiting to, to hear word on, and you're just waiting on God. You're, you're, you're hoping that God will hear and answer your prayers. And it seems like, again, seems like, like heaven is brass and, and so forth. Listen, He has all the events of our life in His hand, and He will be there at just the right time. He's not going to be early, and He's not going to be late. He will be right on time. So we see the timing of his birth. The next thing I want you to see quickly is the manner or the nature of his birth. Look again at verse 4. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. First, I want you to see that he was sent. He was sent. <coughs> now, there's a lot that we could focus on on this. We could dissect it. We're not going to spend uh, a lot of time on this point. 
But I just want to highlight the fact that, that Jesus did not get his start in Bethlehem. He had an existence before the manger. He was sent. And, and so we, we talk about the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. And there was a sacrifice. I mean, Philippians 2 says that, that, that Christ willingly stepped out of glory and into human history to die a vicarious, substitutionary death. He died as a sacrifice for our sins. There's sacrifice there. But there's also sacrifice of the Father as He sent the Son. So it was a sent birth. Second, I want you to see that He was born of a woman. He was born of a woman. Now this, on one hand, is is obvious. It's obvious because how are people born? People are born of women. And, and so we say, okay, well, of course he's born of a woman. But why did Paul include that? He included that because he was highlighting the fact that Jesus, while divine, while he had a, an existence before Bethlehem, he also had a human nature. He was a son given. He was divine. He was the son of God. But he was also a child born. He was the son of man. He had a human nature. It sounds a lot like Isaiah 9, doesn't it? Because it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us what? A son is given. Paul is highlighting the virgin birth. He's alluding to it. And then he says that he was under the law. He was born under the law. In other words, he subjected himself to the law of God, given through Moses. He subjected himself to all the Old Testament requirements, procedures. And he fulfilled those things perfectly. He kept the law. The Father had said, Be perfect, for I am perfect. And that's what Jesus did. He kept the law perfectly. He did for us what we cannot do on our own. He is like us in every way except for sin. Jesus did what we cannot do. He fulfilled the law. Now, I've not counted him, but scholars say that there are over 600 commands in the Old Testament. Over 600 commands in the Old Testament. I have a hard time keeping the 10 that I know. I mean, just the 10 commandments. Don't steal. Don't lie. I mean, there are all all these things. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Honor your father and mother. I mean, there are just a whole list of things. Don't have other gods before the one true God. Then we look at these things, and we say, well, 10, that's not bad. I can do that. And then we start looking at our lives, and realize we don't do a lot of that stuff. And it's not that we mess up once or twice. It's our lives are characterized by this sin. Our lives are characterized by failure. Our lives are characterized by sinfulness. It's, it's all we know. It's all we're capable of apart from Christ. And we don't submit ourselves to the law of God. In fact, it's impossible for us to do so. Say, Pastor, where do you get that from? Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. says, Because the mind set on flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh, listen to this, it's not they will not please God, they cannot please God. You, apart from Jesus, cannot please God. Let me say that again. Apart from Jesus, you cannot please God. 
Why am I saying that? Why am I repeating that? Because, friend, you cannot please God. I'm saying that because many times we think my good deeds will please God. If I just go to church enough, if I just give enough money, if I just have enough religion, I will please God. But the Bible says, apart from Christ, you cannot please God. All your work, all your giving, all your good deeds, all your religion, all your giving to charity, all your prayers, all your Bible readings, it doesn't matter what you do, apart from Jesus, you are a lost sinner headed for hell. All of your righteous deeds, all of your righteous deeds are filthy rags. You need to count those things as lost. Because the only hope that you have before God is faith in Christ. It's not faith in Christ plus good works. It's not faith in Christ plus church membership. Only Jesus. That's the whole reason He was born in Bethlehem was to bring salvation. And if you this very hour, even now, where you're sitting, if you will trust in Christ, the Bible says that you will be saved. You will experience His forgiveness. He will wipe the slate clean. He will take your sins and remove them from you as far as the east is from the west. You'll be made right with God. You'll be adopted into His family. And you will, you will experience the salvation that only He can bring in Christ. Because apart from Him, there is no hope. None. And that leads to the last thing that Paul mentions in verse 5. And that is the purpose of His birth. The purpose of His birth. Look at verse 5. So that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Paul says there are two reasons Jesus was born. The first part of verse 5. So that, here's the purpose, here's the reason. First, to redeem those who are under the law. Now this is not talking about redeeming us from the curse of the law. That was back in chapter 3, verse 13. This is talking about the slavery the law brings to people as they try and try and try to keep the law. They try to keep the law and they fail. And they try it again and they fail. And they keep trying and they keep failing. And they try to be good enough and they try to earn their way to heaven. Just do enough. And they'll always fail. It leads to bondage. It leads to slavery. All they're going to do is go to hell tired. And that fruitless cycle puts us in bondage. But but Paul says that, that Jesus came to redeem us from that bondage. He came to free us. But the other purpose is the flip side of that coin, and that's to bring about adoption as sons. Notice that these these two things are, are mutually exclusive. There's the bondage to the law, and then there's the adoption as sons. When we are free from that bondage, we can experience the 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 freedom that adoption as sons and daughters of God brings. We are adopted into God's family. And just like a human adoption, God will take somebody who was not part of His family and bring them into His family. And so that person is now an heir just as much as a natural born heir. And, and the Bible says that we as believers are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. But that's not true of every person. It, it, it may or may not be true of you. 
And I want you to examine your heart. Are you a child of God? Not do you sometimes come to church. Not do you sometimes read a daily devotion. Not, not do, you, do, do you give money when the offering plate goes by. Not have you joined a church. Not have you been baptized. Not have you taken communion, the Lord's Supper. Not have you given to charity. Not have you had a grandpa that was a preacher. Have you personally been adopted into God's family? He has no grandchildren. He has children. Have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? If the answer is no, again, today, right where you are, before you leave, trust Christ. Because no matter how good you try to live, it's not good enough. You know, there's a, there's a, a phrase I see online all the time. It says, you are enough. That's about nonsense. As it, as it applies to God. You're not enough. Some say you're good. Yeah, at sinning. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Good heavens, if, if my salvation counted on my righteousness, I'd be in hell already. And so would you. Because we fall short. We don't keep the law of God. Only Christ can save you and take you to heaven. So today, trust Him for salvation. Now for those of us who have done that, I want the first part of this to be a word of encouragement to you. Because God is involved in even the mundane, run-of-the-mill decisions and, 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 and events of your life. He is involved in those, in those choices you make. And we may not see, we don't see the big picture, but God is using all those decisions to work out His will in this world. And if you're waiting on Him, take heart because He is right on time. You may not see Him, but He's right on time. His schedule is not our schedule. They don't match, but His timing's perfect. Haven't you ever looked back at your life and said, boy, I'm glad that that happened when it did. Because if this would have happened when I wanted, the way I wanted... I don't tell them what, what would have transpired. But God's timing is better than our time, and His ways are better than our ways. So we need to trust Him in those things today. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to encourage you, if you are a believer and you're in that, that time of waiting on God, you're in that time of, of endurance as you undergo whatever circumstance, situation it is. I think it was last week I, I mentioned that He may bring you he may deliver you out of it, but if not, He sustains you through it. Maybe you've been wrestling with whether or not your choices, your decisions, your life even, make a difference if they matter. God is involved in even the most mundane 
of things in your life. And it could be that you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. The Bible says, while it's still called today, don't harden your heart. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You're not promised tomorrow. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we uh, consider the birth of Christ, we thank you that it's right on time and it didn't come a moment too early or too late. And God, I ask that you would um, uh, be with each one today that maybe is, is uh, struggling with decisions, struggling with waiting, maybe struggling with discouragement. God, I pray that you would help them. Let them know that you are involved in our guiding and directing their steps. And God, for that person who's never accepted Christ, help them to realize that today you've guided their steps to hear this message, to hear this call to repentance. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to do that today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.